Remember as we work our way through chapter 12 that uh, beginning in chapter 12, Paul basically uh, is doing more with the application of what he's been covering. That doesn't mean that there is no doctrine that is in the later chapters of Romans, but it's primarily application of all the different things that he's been covering. So beginning in verse 9, Paul writes, Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. So I want us to begin to work our way through the things that uh, Paul has said here to make sure that we have a good understanding of what he's saying and we don't just do a quick uh, thing where you just kind of glance at something and say, okay, I know what that is and move on. Remember that what God desires of us as believers is that not only that we have proper behavior, but that we have, uh, I guess you say the proper attitude. The idea is that he wants us to pursue him and pursue obedience both outwardly and inwardly. So when he begins here by saying that love be without hypocrisy, that's the very first thing that really he's talking about. We all know that we're supposed to show love to each other's believers. We know we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love each other. But here he tells us that it's not just a matter of what we're doing on the outside. It's a matter really of our heart. He says, let it be without hypocrisy. Uh, so, so this is not necessarily maybe hypocrisy others can see. This would be the hypocrisy that God can see. And the idea is, is that we are loving God and loving others with a pure heart. There's no hidden agenda. We're not doing it begrudgingly. Uh, remember that when it comes to these imperatives, which are like commands, you know, these are not, this is not suggestions. We're told to do this. The bottom line is, is that Apart from God, you and I will be unable to live these things out on any kind of a consistent basis. Because we don't have enough strength for this. I mean, we all know already, people drive us crazy. Right? And there are some people that are easy to love, and there seems to be a growing number of people that are hard to love. <laughs> Especially just, I mean, it's just how it goes. And so we need the help of God the Holy Spirit. But again, the help of God the Holy Spirit is not only the idea that we love others when it's hard, but that God changes our heart so that then, even in the beginning, though it's difficult to love certain people, after we, as we change, it becomes easier to love them because we genuinely love them. It's our hearts that have become different. So that's really the idea there when it comes to talking about love being, being without hypocrisy. Is that, that's what he's getting at. And so that's why, we, you know, as we examine ourselves in light of Scripture, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're, you know, we are investigating what is, what is in here and not just what we do outwardly. Then he says, detest evil and cling to what is good. So again, there's the same idea. The word detest there then means that you really have an aversion or that you really are disgusted by it. There's not this pretending, you really are. You detest it. You want nothing to do with it. You don't want to be a part of your life. This is not something you're gonna compromise with. You detest it. Um, he just says evil because he's talking about all kinds of evil. So there are certain aspects of evil that we detest and it's easy. But he, he, he just says evil, so it's all of it. 
Um, sometimes when individuals talk about, you know, when they raise the question, if God is so good, why does he allow so much evil? And they, you know, they're, most time when people raise that issue, they're, what they're trying to get at is, uh, in some way, either God doesn't exist or God isn't good or something like that. Um, and so I've, I've asked a few people this question, and that is, so what you're asking me then is, or what you're telling me is that you really want God to actively do something to prevent evil, all evil, from taking place. And they always say, oh, absolutely. I said, okay, so we'll begin with you. And so I'll, I'll just throw out some things. Uh, so when you, uh, if I'm usually it's guys I'm talking to with this. So I'm talking to a guy and I said, so you see a woman over there who's attractive and you want to go talk to her but she has a wedding ring, and maybe you're more apt just to ignore the wedding ring, what do you want God to do to you before you talk to her? And they go, well, what do you mean? Well, you just said you want God to actively involve himself in preventing all evil. So if you're going to try to convince this woman to either like you or go on a date or whatever, even though she's married, that would be against the law of God. So you're telling me you want God to stop you. So do you want God to give you a heart attack? Do you want God just to cause you to freeze and you're unable to move? How do you want God to do this? I say because you're a hypocrite if you say you want God to stop murder, but you don't want God to stop this. You just, you already agree. You want God to stop all evil. How do you want God to do that? Because normally when individuals raise that issue, they're not thinking about themselves as being evil or pursuing evil. It's always in the context of others, someone else. And normally, when individuals throw that kind of question out there, they're, they're oftentimes just looking for a way to justify their disbelief in God or to somehow minimize whatever they're doing as being minor and others are worse than I am. You know, that, there's that kind of thing going on. So when it comes to us as, as believers, we want to make sure then that we don't fall into the trap that we detest certain kinds of evil. And, and it's easy to do. Right? You just, if you, even if you just hang out with, with unbelievers, when all of a sudden it comes up, let's say you're just discussing the news of the day, and some individual's been arrested, and they've, we find out that that individual has molested several children, we're all quick and easy to condemn that individual. Now, what they've done is clearly wrong. No one's going to minimize that. But we all immediately jump on that, and we immediately detest that. But we don't detest evil like God does. Because we're dishonest towards others, and we don't detest that kind of evil in us. We might even say, well, I mean, I, I know I don't always tell the truth, but when I don't tell the truth, it's harmless. Well, when, when was that the measure? And who are you to determine what's harmless? It goes back to what does God say? He desires truthfulness, what? Inwardly and outwardly, period. So I'm not saying that we should have maybe less disgust for the individual who, let's say, is, is a child predator. I'm not saying that we have less disgust for them. What I'm saying is, is that we need to make sure that we bring the same level of hatred or angst about the sin in our lives first. That's very important. It and, becomes and, and, a heavy burden. Huh? It becomes a heavy burden. Oh, absolutely. That's, and then that's why we go back then to what Christ has done for us. It reminds us that because what we want to think, and we, never, we normally do this, what we want to think is that individual who's a child predator is worse than us. And now in one sense, he is. Okay? In one sense, he's done things we would never do. And hopefully that's true. So in one sense, because whatever his sin is, is has greater consequences, significant consequences in the lives of others, he is worse than us. At the same time, the root cause of what he does is the exact same root that causes us to do evil. It comes from our heart. And it's a heart that is filled with sin and the natural tendency to, you know, to, to do wrong. So we want to have a, that, that's what's called, we want to have a proper view of ourselves. All right, so A, it's not that you just think you're a worm and you're slimy and no good, but it's also that you don't think more highly of yourself. We recognize that I'm a sinner and I'm in, and I'm in need of the same amount of grace as that individual. Right? Remember, Jesus didn't bleed for my sins, but died for his, because his sins are worse. Jesus had to die so that I could be forgiven. 
each individual who comes to Christ comes to Christ by God's grace. No individual needs less of God's grace to get saved. All of us are in absolute need of that. So, that, so we, need, we need to have that um, uh, perspective. And that's really, that's all that he's talking about here uh, in this very practical way. So again, detest evil, cling to what is good. The idea then is that we make a conscious choice to, um, to cling, to think, uh, to hang out with, to be uh, mindful of, all the different kinds of phrases we can think of where we are associating, our, associating ourselves with what is good. Not that we're trying to somehow think that, say that we're good because I hang out with good, but because I, I need that, you need that. We need, to, we need to be involved with those who are good. We need to be involved in good things. That's just what he's saying. So cling to what is good. Don't, don't hang out with evil in whatever form it takes. Uh, that's the idea that he's getting at. So you notice immediately, just, if you just take just a few phrases we've already, that we've already uh, read there, believing in Christ and becoming a, a Christian involves every aspect of your life. It's not just some Sunday thing or some religious thing that's separate from your life. This is, this is very much involved in every aspect of life. Remember again, as I mentioned before, that during the days of Paul and before, your pagan religions did not have rules, regulations, or laws, or anything. There was no ethics uh, as to, you know, those who worship the goddess Venus didn't have the ethics according to Venus and how you should live your life. It didn't exist. There was no, you know, a moral code that those who followed the god Bacchus had to follow. To worship Bacchus was you pay your money, you get drunk, uh, you go to some wild parties, and you've done your worship and you go your way. Got nothing to do with it everyday life. Whatever you do is whatever you do. The belief among the people was the gods, because they believe in plural gods. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what you did. As long as you appeased the god, whatever the, whatever the gods wanted, as long as you did what they wanted, bribed them to... Significantly, So that's why, again, when it came to Judaism and then when it came to Christianity, uh, for a very large number of people, they were so interested in, in this religion. It was so different than any religion they'd ever heard of. Because in this religion, people are being told that God cares about how you raise your children, about how you treat your wife, about how you treat your husband. Uh, God cares about whether or not you are working I mean, it's just, I mean, just everything. Here, he cares about what you're thinking. He cares about what's in your heart, uh, as well as what you do. Uh, and so, you know, we're kind of accustomed to that because we've been raised in cultures where that aspect of Christianity has kind of been adopted by many, by many cultures. You know, the idea that there's these religious things that we have to follow. So, we're, so we don't really see that kind of a contrast. Even though I do think people are oftentimes looking uh, when it comes to spirituality, many are looking for a form of spirituality that doesn't demand that much from them. That's why I think that you know, they've noticed, um, when I say they, that's different people who observe fads or uh, observe um, trends within a society or, or social groups or cultures. Uh, there's been a trend uh, for about maybe 25, 30 years, where it seems that, that people are kind of drawn to uh, either religions or forms of spirituality that have rituals. And the reason why is you can engage in rituals, feel spiritual, but it doesn't really cost you much. It doesn't cost you much at all. Go to this place, maybe chant, light some candles, feel the vibes or whatever it is, feel spiritual for maybe an hour or maybe three hours, whatever it happens to be. So you, you feel spiritual, you, you kind of you scratch that itch that you have, and then you go on your way. And you may not have to do that again for months until you suddenly feel, ah, I feel kind of empty. I, I, you know, I, need to, I need to get back in touch with my spirituality, whatever that means. It's just, it's just emptiness. Uh, but, but, so, but people have this religious, they have, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, a religious itch that they want to scratch. And so God will have none of that. that. To him, that's hypocrisy. There's nothing to that. And so that's why, again, when Paul writes these things, it really is quite a novelty 
uh, for them, but it's also at the same time, obviously not out of date, and what we are to, uh, to follow. Then he says this. Uh, he says, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Now, I'm reading this from the uh, Holman or the Christian Standard Version, um, but I like the way that he mentions this, because even though we are supposed to have brotherly love for each other, he doesn't leave it with that. He also adds here that we need to show family affection. So the idea is that this is, again, something you, that you cannot fake. You can fake it for a while, but you cannot fake. The idea is that you are to develop actual affection for other believers. An actual love, like you, like you would for your, you know, I, when I do this, I think of my sister, my sisters, or my kids, or my grandkids. You know, the question that I've often asked, ask myself when it comes to doing anything for anybody. So let's say that, uh, let's, say, let's say one night at two o'clock in the morning, let's say that Eileen Pinckney calls me up because she's getting off work and her car doesn't work and she can't get a hold of anybody. And she wants me to come pick her up. Now, normally in that kind of situation, it just, you don't think about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But let's say that it's three nights in a row. All right? but, I, but I do, and I think this way. I, I'm not doing it because, as, because there's anything wrong with Eileen, because there's not. But the question would be this. If that was my sister, would I hesitate? Uh, I'm already in the car on the way. No, you would. I, absolutely, I would. Without even thinking about it, I would be on my way. That's family. Yeah, it's because it's family. Just, I'm, I'm taking care of my sister. Boom, I'm gone. So the idea is, is that that's what to, that is what is to drive us. All right? so, but it's a, it's a part of this, that we, that we have this care. So that's why also uh, when, you, when you read about the church in the Bible, you know, it's not just a gathering of believers where we kind of come in, we get together, we sing a couple of hymns on Sunday, we listen to a sermon, we go home, and we have zero contact with each other. There is very much this idea that we are to act like a family. You know, we, we try to do things as a church that it's not just that, that we worship together. We also have, like, you know, we have oyster roast. Why do we do that? We don't have to have an oyster roast. Right? But we do that to hang out with each other, to get to know each other better, to get to know each other better outside of just a worship service where there is, it, worship service isn't really kind of, you know, a, a place where you can get to know each other, find out what people like to do, what's going on, and that kind of thing. The idea is, is that we, there can be these more well-rounded kind of relationships. Uh, that is the idea behind that, and, and all the different kinds of things that we do. You know, Baptists, I know people make all these jokes about Baptists and food, and they shouldn't because our food is actually very good. Uh, but the idea is, is that, but the, but the main reason why there's food is because normally when there's food, there's conversation. That's the idea. It opens the door. Um, I had a friend, he was, uh, he was a consultant uh, for several different ministries. He, he did a lot of different things in his life. Anyway, he was Sicilian. And he said that when he was growing up, he said, uh, I guess it was two or three nights a week, every week, his entire life. He says they would have a Sicilian style of dinner. What that meant was dinner was five to six hours long. And the idea there was not because they were going to have 12 course, a 12-course meal, is you sat and you talked to each other for five or six hours. That's just, that's how it was. And, you know, that's just, that, that's the norm. For them, so that's the idea here uh, behind this. So, when we evaluate ourselves, when we look at our lives as Christians, then it's not then just okay. Do I love my brothers and sisters in, in the church that I go to? And I look at the director and I go, "Yep, yep, 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 yep. I got no problem with anybody," and go my way. No. The other question then is, do I have a sense? And I know this is kind of subjective, but. Every now and then, subjective things aren't necessarily sinful. We're being guided by the scripture. But do I have a sense that I have a genuine affection for these people? And, and the answer needs to be yes. If the answer is no, it's not because that person is irritating, even though they may be. It's because my heart needs to change. It needs to continue to change. And so uh, uh, that's what Paul is getting at. Again, remember, in all these other religions, they, they didn't care. 
You know, when everyone's, when they're all lining up to go into the temple to worship Bacchus and, you know, drink their wine and get drunk, nobody cares if they like the other individuals. That's not even a thought on their mind. But here it is, because of all the various commands that God gives us and how God has also created us to live and to flourish uh, as individuals. So again, show, so again, it's, it's more than just a feeling. The idea is that, is that uh, we are to show this uh, to each other. We don't keep it to ourselves. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. And then, just to kind of make sure we, we uh, understand all that's going on here and the way we treat each other, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. So it's not quite the case that it's a contest, but it's kind of a little bit there in, in the back of your mind that you want that the, the idea of showing honor and, and respect, which is really comes down to, I think, a, maybe a, a good descriptive word is showing preference. You want to outdo others in doing that. You want to do it more now. Obviously, you're not doing it to brag. You know, I don't say, you know, Ron, I know you love people here, but dude, I outdo you by a mile. Okay, it's not that. All right, but the idea is, though, is that we show preference. And sometimes, um, I don't know if you've ever seen this, it happens with Christians sometimes. Um, maybe it happens a lot. But I remember um, uh, when I was living on the Big Island, Every now and then, there'd be a couple of men in the church that I would go to, and the pastor, and we, we would all go out for breakfast. And uh, inevitably, when it came time for the bill to be paid, the men are arguing over who's going to pay the bill. You know, one guy says, I'll pay for it. He says, no, 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 I'll get it. No, I'll get it. And back and forth. And that kind of thing. And usually, usually it, it ended up being worked out okay. On this one particular Saturday morning, no one could remember who had paid for it last, not that it really mattered. But this older man, who's a Chinese man named Mr. Chai, insisted that he pay for breakfast. And we had a few more people there than normal. The pastor, this Pastor Kagawa, he's Japanese, he said, no, I'm paying. So the waitress is waiting for them to figure out who's paying so she could put the bill, you know, give the bill to them. And they're kind of going back and forth. And neither one of them is relenting. And so she just kind of puts it down in the middle of the table to leave. She puts that thing down, and both those guys, wham! They both slammed the little black book with their hands. And they both got there at the exact same time and gripped it. And they're yanking back and forth. It was... Pretty funny. Um, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But the idea was is that they they generally, for whatever reason, they wanted to do that. But so there's that kind of idea that we want to make sure that we are that we do look out for each other and that we seek to honor to to give preference to others. That and it, and if those kinds of things are going on, you're not going to have a whole lot of problems in the church. And whatever problems you do have, you're going to be able to work out. This is a lot easier to work it out when people get along. Yes, ma'am. Well, um, well, what if you live with an unbeliever and there's no way to be a nice one? There's always but a way to be nice. Well, no. There's yep. no way. There is. Well, I, I'm being nice. Okay. Okay, maybe. But in my head, <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> in my head, right. in my mouth, really wants to explode. But yeah. in my, me, you know, reading my Bible and mm -hmm. whatever, trying to be different, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's hard. Well, now, I never said it was easy. No, God didn't either. But yeah. what I'm saying is, mm -hmm. what if this is an unbeliever that you're trying to get along with or try to... Um, it says in the book of Romans, which we, we, we won't get to it tonight, <laughs> yeah. as much as possible, as it depends upon you, be at peace with everyone. So if there's conflict. Pushing you and pushing you and pushing you and you go away and they keep following you. And they're, you know what? This is, this, is my, this is my belief from what the Bible says and people don't like it and I don't really care because I think they're wrong. As we grow as Christians, we can get to a point that other people cannot make you mad. When, when we get mad at people, Almost always, it's because we let it happen. Now, that's hard. I get more frustrated than 
Well, same thing. The same thing. It's, I mean, there's nobody to get around it. We, there is such a thing, you know, because people always say this, and they're, they're correct. There is such a thing as righteous anger. And I think every now and then we may have some of that. Not very often. But not very often. Normally it's more of a self-centered thing, whether we're being inconvenienced or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. And so the idea is, is that uh, A, 1 Corinthians 10.13 is always in play, which states, and I will paraphrase it, that God guarantees us that we will never, ever be in a situation where we must give in to sin. That he always will provide a way of escape, whether it's actual physical movement or whatever. He promises God is sovereignly involved in our lives. That's true, because I have been at that place before, mm -hmm. and I need to be back at that place. Yeah, so that's why it's so important that we recognize that, we, that it, this is not just an outward conforming to a list of do's and don'ts that God gives us, that he wants the heart to be transformed to where these, this is how... It's not only that I want to be this way, I actually become that way. Yeah, because it bothers me, the feelings and the thoughts that I have. And what, can you tell me, because I've been trying to find it, because I think it's in Corinthians too. But it's where you, you ask the Lord to take, make your thoughts captive unto him. Well, it says you take your thoughts captive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a discipline that we have to develop. We, we do it in dependence on the Lord, but that's what we do. We develop that discipline to where we, we are aware of what we think. We evaluate what we think in light of what the Word of God says. So then when we, our mind begins to go in the wrong direction, we stop that and we then go in the right direction. Now, uh, where is that verse though? Because I looked and looked and looked. I thought it was... Uh, I'd have to look up a concordance. I don't know. But... Um, but the thing is, is that, that uh, the, the changing of the heart um, is a very serious matter with God and desires that we become like Christ. So it's, it's important that we then never become satisfied with where we're at. Because right. it's easy to do. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not satisfied. Yeah, well, and I know, and it's easy to say we're not, but a lot of times we don't really do a whole lot more than whatever. So it's very difficult. Uh, but if we pray, as we pray for each other, uh, of course, the Lord will sometimes actually place us in situations that would be very difficult to test us or to push us or whatever the case happens to be. But we need to rely on him. So it's, so again, it would never imply that it's easy, though I do believe through time, as we grow, it becomes easier. Because we also, at the same time, when that happens, as we develop understanding of people. You know, we know why they're acting that way. And that's very important. It changes everything. Um, and then also, this thing here, as we, so uh, let's say that um, uh, uh, there's someone in the church, I know someone in the church, let's just say, well, I'm just gonna use Ron, he's right there. All right, so let's just say that, that, that I know a lot of things about Ron's background, and so let's say that Ron is very, at times, aggressive and gets loud, okay? So, um, let's say one day he, he's aggressive and loud, not, not that he's trying to be, but he's aggressive and loud towards Eileen. I've already mentioned her name, so Eileen. And Eileen kind of gets her feathers ruffled and she's upset, and so she wants to talk to me. So she comes to my office, and she says, I don't know what's wrong with that guy Ron in the church. And she tells me kind of what happens. Okay, well, because I know Ron, I can say, hey, I know. Let me tell you some things about Ron. So let's say I tell her a little bit about, Ron, about Ron's background. Now that she has that understanding, most of the time, what will happen is just that information will begin to change her attitude. She's like, oh, I, well, I didn't know that. She had no way of knowing that. And so all of a sudden, with nothing else happening, she's already now more patient with Ron. It's just amazing how that happens. 
Now, if we are growing as a church and we're getting closer as we're supposed to be, um, you know, she's, she knows already she needs to have this affection for him. Um, she needs to have respect for him just because he's, an, he's older, as, as the Bible says, uh, and, and those things. So all those things come into play. As God, the Holy Spirit, continues to work on her heart because she's growing as a Christian, pretty soon that whole thing just passes away. That I don't have to bring her in. I don't have to bring Ron in and try to have a big powwow. It just, poof, goes away. Because she now understands and, you know, she says, you know what, based on all that, he, he probably meant really nothing by that at all. I said, yeah, I, I think in this situation you're probably right. So that's kind of the idea with all of this. So, it, so now that doesn't mean that there was that moment where there was a few hours, a few days where she was upset for whatever the reason, she was upset. It really wasn't anyone's fault. It's just one of those things that happen. You know, it's just because of sin in the world. This stuff goes on. However, the attitude that we bring is very different because of what the scripture says. We live in, 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 in submission to what the Bible says. We want to apply. Now, in that situation, it would be very easy um, to deal with that because I know Eileen actually wants to follow what the Bible says. In fact, Eileen wants to follow the Bible no matter what it says. That, that's her attitude. There are some people who say they want to follow the Bible, but they only go so far with that. You know, well, I know the Bible says this, but you weren't there. You know, that, you know they may not always say it that way, but that's kind of like, you weren't there. If you could have seen how he talked to me or how he treated me, you know, as she wags the finger in my face, you know, kind of thing. But sometimes that happens. You know, you mentioned those several occasions. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. About road rage. Yeah. Now, this was a good prime example of mm -hmm. basically what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yep. So the road rage should lessen in the lives of believers. <laughs> 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 you should have less of it. Yesterday, I felt good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So there's, but, but now I do, what we have to remember then, uh, and, and sometimes this is actually, this is true. Sometimes with family members, it's more difficult, right? Because we, we all let our guard down, and it's almost also because we know them, I know they have no excuse, right? <laughs> or, no, you don't understand, Pastor Bob. I know they meant it. Because you don't know, you know what I mean? There's all those kind of things that go on. All these different emotions and all these things that we know. And then the things that we think we know. And then there's the history that goes, there's all that stuff that goes in there. Uh, so even with family. Um, so sometimes, it's not so much evidence of our growth and how we treat others. The evidence of our growth is how we treat family. You know, that's where the, that's where the evidence is. It's because sometimes... It is easier to be nice to strangers than it is to family, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but you all know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> so we want to make sure, again, the idea is that, we, that we're honoring the Lord, that we really are we're understanding what it is that Christ is demanding of us. And, and, and so I, I think, if nothing else, our absolute dependence upon God just becomes just more and more blatantly obvious because I can't bring that out in myself. We can all only go so far. To go beyond that requires a work of God uh, in our hearts and lives. And I do think that most Christians actually do want that. They just haven't always thought about what that might mean uh, because it can be a little painful at times to get there. But this is what God wants. And so... Again, so when you read all this stuff in Romans about what Christ has done for us and how God, how God has forgiven us, and he talks about you know, this union we have with Christ, he's not just going through all those things so we can feel good about ourselves. All that is laying the foundation so we can understand God's given us the resources and you have no excuse not to follow what this says. Now, Romans 8 also reminds us, there's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we know we're going to sin and we're going to blow it. Along the way, there's, you know, we, we have those, those gaffes that where we, we mess up. 
but the idea is I'm not condemned. I, God expects me to seek forgiveness from him, to seek forgiveness from those I've offended. But I'm not condemned. I'm not thrown away. Uh, but but I, don't have to, I don't have to wrestle with a bunch of overwhelming false guilt as well. We, you know, we, can, we can remind ourselves that man, Christ, is, he's paid for that. All right? But again, Christ paying for that is not just a psychological relief so we can feel better about ourselves or feel less guilt. The guilt is gone so I can what? Continue to move forward in my, in my growth or my walk with the Lord. And that, that's what God wants. Um, so the Christian life is at times very, very difficult. Uh, but again, clearly it's, it's worth it. Um, and the peace that you have and the joy that you have is, is truly marvelous. We really can get to a point to where others are unable to steal our joy. Um, and, and so when it comes to uh, whether it's anger or whatever it is, you know, the frustrations we sometimes have with other people, because that can be, people can be hard. Yeah, and they keep, you know? I mean, this person keeps on getting under sure. my skin, you know, yeah. because you know it's out of, Well, remember I this. push my butt, I don't know yeah. Well, remember this for the non-believers. For the non-believer, remember, whether they admit it or not, their life is empty. They have a hard time finding meaning. They have no way to deal with pain in their life. No way to deal with the betrayal that's happened in their lives. You know, everyone's gone through forms of betrayal or being betrayed. They have no way to deal with that. They don't have a relationship with God. All those things make that individual miserable. It doesn't mean they don't have moments of happiness, because they will, but overall, they don't have what you have. And so they're going to lash out at others. And sometimes, and I know this sounds weird, but you know it's true, because we've met people like this, and hopefully, maybe you were like this at one time, but there are times that we get this evil joy out of making other people miserable. Right? You're miserable, I'm, you know, we don't say it, but we live it. I'm miserable. I'm going to make others miserable. When I make them miserable, I'm less miserable. You know, I mean, there's a bit of happiness on the inside. I was the reason for that person's misery. Everything that was wrong in her life, I was the re- responsible for that. And I just calmly told her that I couldn't take responsibility for everything yeah. in her life. And that I wasn't going to take that on. Well, so, Mm-hmm. When I first, that right that was conversion, if I can get on prednisone again, <laughs> then I'll be able to get back and do things because really yeah. and truly, um, it is hard. I mean, mm-hmm. and I worry for my mom because she's, you know, she's, she's, she's got, you know, blindness mm-hmm. that's getting worse and worse. And my brother wants us to her to move up, us to move up there, and then he has nothing to say to me at all. I, I write him sweet text and keep trying, and he won't even reply to me. So. Well, I, we're going to experience that. We know already, as believers, because the Bible has told us this, that we are going to experience greater suffering than others. That's it's just different by degree. But it's also different because. Or it's more bearable because we do have the Lord and we know where that's coming from. Uh, Some days the thought that, that, you know, that's what gets me through. I know I'm not going to have to deal with this forever. But it also, yep. it also scares me because I don't want to be at the great white judgment and I see my son and my mother and my brother and my grandchildren. You, mm-hmm. know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I mean, you thank God you don't have that to deal with. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, it's hard. I, I, uh, and I, I try to talk to Trey, and he's doing better, but he is really busy. And uh, but I keep praying, and that's my strongest tool. Mm-hmm. Verse twelve again. Oh no, I'm sorry. We're not that far yet. <laughs> All right. Verse eleven. <laughs> Do not lack diligence. I know it's only four words, but we have to stop to make sure you recognize that when he says, do not lack diligence. Diligence basically means 
that you leave no stone unturned. The idea is that this is a, a radical commitment. The word radical probably is in a sense wrong. We just use that to emphasize great commitment. But actually, I would say that it's normal commitment. Okay, so for example, if a man and woman get married, and let's say that on their 10th wedding anniversary, each of them says that they've been faithful to their spouse for 10 years, which thank goodness they have been. And then if one of them says, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's clearly I'm radically committed. Okay. Actually, that would just be kind of normal commitment. <laughs> I mean, so if you've, if you've been unfaithful once, that just doesn't make any sense because we're like, that's not computing. Right? The, the, it, it would be the norm to expect absolute faithfulness regardless. So when it comes to diligence then, or commitment, when, when you get down to, to what that word means to be committed, then diligence would be a normal part of what goes into that. Whether it is dealing with something regarding your health or something regarding education as you pursue school or as we live our lives as Christians. When it comes to this, we it's important that we don't allow ourselves to think or allow the evil one to cause us to think that this is a, a burden and a drudgery. Okay? It's not supposed to be that. Yes, this is hard. It requires this radical commitment. And yes, where there's things that we're no longer doing and things that we are doing, but it's, it's not in a negative context. It's, it's, it's a very positive thing. Right? It's not like, so again, go back to the whole marriage thing. So if, if, again, if we take this couple and they've been married for 10 years and faithful, you know, if the guy is, says, you know, I just, you know, this marriage has been tough. So, oh, well, what, what's going on? Well, you know, all the things you've got to give up to be married. We were thinking, well, but marriage, I mean, isn't marriage good? Well, yeah, it's got its good moments, but man, it's, I mean, you know, it's just, what's going to happen is, is we're going to be thinking that, that the guy's approach is wrong, right? There's something missing someplace. We know there may be rough spots in marriages, but the way the individual is speaking, there's something that's, that's amiss. So it's the same thing, and the reason why I bring that up is because people in general, we just tend to... When it comes to being really committed, we, we tend to be a little on the negative side, right? Like when it comes to diet, when it comes to eating healthy, how many of us think that's a wonderful, positive thing? I don't, because all I think of is all the stuff I can't have, right? So I can't have Dutch apple pie for breakfast. You know, if the, if the doctor says, Bob, you've got to lose weight and you've got to start eating healthy, oh, great, so I can't have apple pie anymore. Right? So, I mean, or, or you can't have pizza, all this stuff we want to have. So, so we tend to think of it in the negative, right? Which, you know, it's, in one sense, neither here nor there, but we do tend to approach a lot of things that way, right? Some individual wants to be a, a, a great athlete, right? And so we, that requires an immense amount of discipline. So we normally think of that in terms of all the things they can't do and all the things they don't do instead of all the things that they have now. I mean, it's... It's incredible. Um, do you know anything about football? Tom Brady has won seven Super Bowls, more Super Bowls than any other quarterback on the, on the planet. Um, there was a guy that was, was, who's done a lot of biographies of different individuals. He's met a lot of guys in business and you know, world leaders and all that kind of stuff and athletes. And what he said about Tom Brady was he is the most disciplined man he's ever met in his life. He, says that, he said, man, this guy... It leaves no stone unturned. He goes to bed at 8.30 every single night. He arises every morning at 4 a.m. He does this workout. He eats these certain kinds of foods. I mean, and, he go, and then he talks about the kind of work he does, you know, this studying the opponents to, to be able to be successful. I mean, he just goes through all this stuff. And it's every single day, every day of his life for the past 25 years. He just he doesn't miss. All right? So again, we tend to think of all the things the guy can't do, but at the same time, think of all the things the guy has done. 
know, no one else is even close to the kind of things that he's done. If that's what he loves, and that's what he loves, and he's the best there is. And you can apply that to any aspect of life. When any individual has been successful, there's always great discipline that's there. And others who either want to put down, not necessarily in a real negative way, but, you know, just kind of distance themselves from that. You know, it's like, yeah, well, but they can't do this, and they can't do that. Yeah, well, they don't want to, because they want to do this. So when it comes to then the life that we have as a Christian, the idea is that we, that we love Christ and we do want to uh, live in the way that he's described. But at the same time, this is not just, I mean, it is for the glory of God, but at the same time, it also is, is what's going to bring to us great joy in our lives. It's going to bring us peace and contentment and satisfaction. In the same way that, if, again, if a man and woman are committed to each other in their marriage, no matter, matter what goes on, there's going to be a lot of good things that comes out of that. They're going to, they're going to enjoy a lot of good things. So it's, it's a very positive thing. So we just want to make sure we don't allow the devil, because this happens maybe a lot when it comes to religion, and especially Christianity, where people have this very negative approach towards all the stuff you can't do. And just erase that aspect of it and think of all the things that we get to do and all the things that we possess. And, and whatnot. And so that's, that, that's what we want to make sure, I think, that we, we need to make sure that we remember. So that's what it means then to, uh, to not lack diligence. Uh, that means you just leave no stone unturned. As you evaluate your life and, and look at those things that God wants you to do, you're going to do whatever it takes um, to make that happen. Again, you're not depending on your own strength. We are working hard on it, but we're leaning on the Lord. Then he says, be fervent in spirit, all right? So the idea there is that, that we have this, I, for lack of a better way to put it, a, a high-pitched uh, uh, emotional commitment to the Lord. Okay, there's this, this strong emotional energy uh, that we bring to the table. In other words, the whole person is involved, and then, of course, we're serving the Lord. This is what we're doing. We're, we're not serving ourselves. Uh, we're not primarily serving others, though we do that, but we're serving God. And, and, that's going to, and it's going to bring these great rewards to us that God has promised. But, so this, again, is kind of reminding us of where our mind needs to be and, and how we are to be focused. Then after that, he says, uh, again, he's, some more short phrases in how we are to be inwardly. Rejoice in hope. So rejoice in hope is simply this. We talk about the hope we have in Christ. Uh, that hope is, and again, the word hope there is not wishful thinking. It's this guarantee we have. So I've been delivered from the power of sin. I've been delivered from judgment. I've been delivered from hell. I'm being delivered to heaven. I'm going to have a place uh, with the Lord for all of eternity where, where sin is going to be completely defeated. And I'm going to experience all the joy that that brings. I have the Lord in my life now. The Lord answers prayer. The Lord looks out for me. He's promised to meet my needs. And we can go on and on. So I can rejoice in this hope. That's where I, so I'm not, look, so the, I'm not looking at the world to bring me accolades. I'm not looking to be popular. I'm looking at all this. I'm, I'm looking at the, in the hope that I have in Christ. And that then gives to me that peace, that joy uh, that God wants me to have and to experience. And we will. And so that's why Paul says rejoice in hope. So that also then implies, or maybe, maybe it basically says, you then intentionally, you do this. It's not something that's going to come, it's not going to be sprung on you where it just happens. You do this. You, you may have to remind yourself to do this. We do that with each other sometimes, right? Someone's going through a difficult time. And we, and, you know, we, we don't want to be flippant, so, and I don't think we say it in a flippant way. Uh, but sometimes when we're going through times of difficulties, we will say that, well, we know we need to rejoice in the Lord. Right? Because that's what we need to do. And we, and we need to refocus, not become overly focused on the negative. We're not denying that the negative's happening, but we, we, we are rejoicing that something that we're choosing to do. And, and when we do that, uh, God is going to bless. Then he says, along with rejoicing in hope, because he understands that life is not going to be easy, be patient in affliction. So being patient in affliction, the word patience is an important word, because the main idea with patience is that your character remains unchanged 
under stress. That's what patience is. Your character remains unchanged under stress. So the opposite of that is what we recognize when some individual we know suddenly just starts yelling because something small has happened. And our, often our first thought is, wow, he must be under a lot of strain, right? Because it's brought this out. All right, now what we have now, what we need to recognize is the stress did not make that person that way. The stress reveals what the person is. That's what's important about when, we, when we're going through times of great stress or when there's a heavy burden. It reveals who we are. So sometimes what that reveals is that my character needs to change. So what I appear to be to others in my character, when something else comes out, that shows where the flaw is. So when he tells us then in affliction, and again, it's just a general word for affliction. So whether it's persecution or any kind of affliction that we're experiencing, the idea is be patient. So it's, so it's not just waiting, though that's included, all right, to, to wait. But as we're, so that means if you're waiting, you have to bear with whatever's going on. As you bear with it, you want to make sure that your character or who you are remains unchanged. Uh, it's a good way, to, I think, to approach that. And sometimes we can feel ourselves, like, you know, I don't know if you ever noticed this about yourself. Have you ever noticed when you, you can tell when you're starting to get irritable? Not about you, but I know I can. I'm very aware of it. I can feel it building up. Not an explosion of anger, but there's just enough tension that I can snap at somebody. And I won't yell. I can say something pretty mean or pretty cutting or whatever, and, and I can feel it. So I already know I cannot, I'm a Christian, I can't let that out. But I also have to deal with it. And so I have to start examining myself. Why am I feeling this way? Am I, you know, am I trusting the Lord? I got to remind myself that God is sovereign. God's in charge. God's allowing this to happen. Sometimes I tell myself, and this is not, you know, this is not where I'm trying to be some martyr, but sometimes I remind myself, I deserve this. I deserve it. There's, maybe this is, it's associated with something that I've done before, or maybe associated with something I haven't done before. Example, I was talking to a guy once. He was having a lot of uh, difficulties in his marriage, and as I began to ask him questions, he was under a lot of pressure, an enormous amount of pressure. And as we continued to talk, I began to understand where a lot of the pressure was coming from. He was getting a lot of phone calls. Phone calls from people he owed money to. Creditors. And so as we kind of talked about all those things, I go, ah. I said, have you ever thought when you're angry that you, that you deserve this? He said, what? I said, you deserve this. What do you mean I deserve this? I'm a nice guy. Yeah, but you didn't pay your bill. So that's your fault. You didn't pay your bill, or you didn't pay your bill on time, or whatever the case may happen to be, or maybe you could have called them in advance and say, I can't pay, this is why, this is what I'm gonna do about it, but you did nothing, you started to get these phone calls, and now you're allowing all this stress to build up, but it's your fault. Because who, whose fault is it? There's nobody else to point the finger at. You know, you're the one that spent the money. Especially when it's a bunch of credit cards and, you know, you got all these toys outside that you're not playing with. But the idea is, is that we want to be mature as believers, mature as people. So I recognize, that, yeah, that's maybe in certain situations, maybe in a lot, but I deserve this. That, that should change your perspective. Because, you know, we desperately want to blame somebody else and we want to snap at somebody else. We really do. That goes back to the Garden of Eden. It's an Adam and Eve did. They want to blame somebody else. So you're under a lot of stress. You go to a restaurant. The waitress doesn't seem to get the order right. And so you want to get mad at her or him. And maybe you do. And in your mind, you're thinking that that stupid waiter would do his job right. I wouldn't be so upset. Time out. Ain't got nothing to do with it. You're already upset when you got in here. You may not have been feeling upset, but you're carrying that burden, right? So there's, always, there's already this stress level. It's already at a certain point. It's already at an eight. 
So any mistake, boom, it's a 10. If, you, if you're handling things the way you're supposed to as a believer, then your stress level may have only been a 2. And let's say the waiter does mess up. Goes all the way up to a 5. Not a big deal. And, then, and even then, you know, we should have our wits about ourselves, and we should be thinking in terms of that individual. Because we tend to think, I know I do this, I tend to think my waiter is not doing his job right or her job right. What's going on with them? You know, because I, I can really get impatient. It's not a good, it's not a good thing. All right? But I want to start thinking in terms of, and, and it doesn't mean that we're saying that they're being an after the job is okay. No one's saying that. But my responding in anger is not going to be helpful. And I'm a believer. And imagine this. Just, just imagine this. Let's say that you go to a restaurant, and let's say you really do get bad service. And not only do you get bad service, your waiter or waitress is actually rude to you. And you've just, and it's been a bad day for you anyway. So this just all compounds. And so you kind of, in a Christian way, scold the waiter or waitress. You just let them, you kind of let them have it. Two days later, you get a call from your friend in the church. And they say, I really couldn't think of anybody else, and I thought of you. I have a friend of mine who's going through a real hard time. Do you think that if I brought him over, you could talk to him uh, for, uh, about some of their issues? Because I just think that you talk with the Lord better than I do. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, bring him over. And it's the waiter. <laughs> it's the waiter. It's the waiter or the waitress. And you've acted the way you've acted. Now how do you feel? When they walk in the door, do you say, huh, you? Well, you deserve what I gave you. No, you don't do that. You are, you are, you're upset at yourself because the more important thing, which is going to happen now, without knowing it, you kind of messed up. Now, you might be able to fix it and apologize, and the person may be very kind and gracious. It's not a big deal. All right? But those things do happen. That kind of thing does happen, and we need to, we need to think about those things. So it goes back to a saying that I remember one time I've talked to a lot of people about these things, and I've heard this for my whole life. When I was in high school, I remember hearing this, where people talk about Christians and their rights and all those things. And I've heard people say, well, I know I'm a Christian. I'm also to serve others. But that doesn't mean I'm supposed to be a doormat. And usually someone else says, amen, you know, that kind of thing. Well, all I can tell you is I think sometimes it does mean that we're a doormat. Not always, but I, do th I actually think it sometimes means that. Because we know who we are in Christ. That makes all the difference in the world. This other person, they don't have any of that. And so if... They have to basically wipe their feet on me. That's okay. I, I can handle that. Because I know who I am in Christ. My pride should never be the kind of thing that's going to stand in the way of that and give someone a hard time. That's, that can be hard in the beginning. After you do it for a while, it gets a lot easier. So that you realize it's just not a big deal. <laughs> to be a doormat, it's, it really, it's just not a thing. It's hard when you're in your 20s. <laughs> right, because we want to stand up for everything. But anyway, we got to stop. Um, time is up. But we'll continue to work our way through this and hopefully get a real good, good handle of how God wants us to be as believers. And I hope that you see the very practical, day-to-day -day way that God wants us to live and to be. And that there's really a, a lot of great freedom in this as, as we understand who we are in Christ. We're free from carrying around a lot of baggage that, that these things can either bring about uh, or, or cause. Father, we thank you again for your kindness and love and goodness, and we ask, Lord, that your spirit remind us often of your word and what it says. We know, Lord, there are, time, there are some really hard things that you say here. For some of us, it's certain phrases. For others, it's other phrases. But we all have those areas that we have our, our weaknesses in. Father, I pray that not only will we recognize where we're weak, but that we would desire that you change us in those areas. Father, we, we want to experience every day your peace and your grace. We, we want to experience deep and lasting joy. And yet also, Father, we want to live in reality and not deny maybe some of the difficulties or, or painful aspects of life.
We're grateful, Lord, that you understand all of that. As the word says, you were tempted in all points, as we are. And yet you were without, you were without sin. So, Father, we recognize again that we are dependent upon you. We thank you that your spirit is within each believer. We thank you, Lord, that as your spirit interacts with the word, that you will transform us and that you will complete the work that you've begun in us. And so we're thankful. We ask as we go home, as we're dismissed, that you would keep us safe, that you would watch over us. Help us, Father, to think a great deal about your word. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.